Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. Beer is a growing business in Arizona, but just like so many other things, it felt the pinch of the pandemic and supply chain problems. So grab a pint as we spend this week learning about the industry. More than two dozen craft breweries call Southern Arizona home. If you're a beer aficionado or just looking for a cold pint, you are sure to be able to find any type of beer you like from pilsners to sours to IPAs and stouts. The breweries felt the economic pinch of the pandemic as much as many others in the hospitality industry, but some thrived. Eric Seip, an owner of Dillinger Brewing, says they even managed to open a new location in downtown Tucson during the pandemic. There was a lot of luck involved. Um, we had been planning on doing an expansion, so we were already in a good place financially. Uh, and then I was kind of an early believer that this was going to be a big deal. Uh, I had had a trip overseas that I was supposed to go to in April. So by the time it reached Spain, which is where I was going, I was looking around and saying, guys, there's 50 cases in Madrid. I don't know if I can go. So by about January, I'd already started kind of pulling back a little bit, being a little more cautious and, and saying, oh, you know, maybe we'll have to wait an extra, you know, two months and see where it goes. Um, but, you know, we it, it was a lot of dumb luck and then a lot of uh, goodwill from the rest of the people of Tucson that really wanted to start supporting local that kind of let us be able to keep expanding. Let's talk about that. There has, over the last few years, uh, a lot of breweries have popped up. How hard a business is this? Uh, it's really hard. Um, there's kind of still a little bit of room in this market, but if you are trying to open up a brewery in San Diego or Denver or Portland, I'd probably advise against it. Um, Tucson still has a lot of room for growth though. So really it's just kind of location dependent still. What makes Tucson still have room for growth? Well, none of us are that big. I mean, a couple of them have done big expansions you can find statewide, but a lot of these places still operate as like mom and pop brew shops, which is what mine is. That's what we are. I mean, you'll still find me behind the bar a couple of days a week. Uh, and I think that that style still has its place where people will know the owner, they'll know who the brewer is, and they'll feel more personally invested in its success. Um, whereas like the giant mega corporations with a hundred million dollars worth of equipment, those ones might start fading off a little bit in comparison. Yeah, we won't talk about any of those by name, like the ones that have the big Clydesdale horses <laughs> or the Rocky Mountains or any of those. But, you know, you said you're still small local mom and pop, but we can find some of your beer in local grocery stores, at local bars. So you've managed to get out of just the tap room. I'm still canning those things myself. So if you're getting a can of Dillinger beer anywhere in this state, my hand has put that in the four pack. So still mom and pop, still me doing it. Uh, if it's a keg of beer, it's most likely our head brewer, but a can, that is me. <laughs> so we can still expand, but it's still me. What is it about beer and Southern Arizona? Because we've got breweries down in Cochise County. What is it that has allowed it to do so well here? We're not Phoenix with 4 million people at the doorstep. 
You know, we're still a million. There's still a lot of people here. Um, and there still is a pretty strong community aspect that wants to support local and buy local. And, you know, like my wife will buy any bag that has a saguaro or a prickly pear on it. People will buy any beer if it's Tucson over the same thing coming out of somewhere else. You know, we want to support local. So when did you guys open and whose big idea was it to open a brewery in Tucson? Uh, so it's actually me and a college buddy. Uh, we opened up just a little bit over five years ago. We had our fifth year anniversary party two weeks ago. Um, we had come up with this idea in college. We had gotten jobs in the industry afterwards. And after maybe three or four years, we decided it's time to take the plunge and opened up. Um, then we've just been running it however we've been able to since then. There was three years of normal operation, and now we're two years into COVID operation. But it's worked somehow for us. And, of course, here, Dillinger Brewing, you expanded to right here on the edge of downtown in the shadow of Hotel Congress, temporary home of Dillinger himself. Right. And this was a bakery when he was caught, and you can't prove that he did not eat here. <laughs> Maybe I can't prove that he did, but you can't prove that it didn't happen. <laughs> so how has business been here at this new location? I'm very happy. Uh, it's been good. Um, obviously, I don't have too much to compare it to. So maybe someday I'll have a normal year of operation where I don't have lockdowns. Um, but for the time being, I'm happy. You know, it, it was uh, the right the right call for us. When it came to the pandemic, was being small actually an advantage? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we actually turned our brewery into a drive through when it first happened and would release a video every single day promoting the drive through So nothing like asking for your support or saying we're all in this together. Only dumb, funny videos every day. And people loved it. So just by being able to sell... Um, out of the tap room, we were able to pay everybody. No one got laid off. We were able to pay our bills uh, and stay in operation, where if we were larger, I don't think that would have been the case. So what's the future for Dillinger? What's next? That is a very good question. Um, I have decided that I don't ever want to go into anything alone anymore, and I'm going to try to team up with as many other local businesses as I can. I am not going to announce anything right now, but there are a few very fun projects that could be coming in the next couple of months, so stay tuned. Um, but I think once we've done that next series of new ideas, uh, I'll be in a pretty happy place. You mentioned teaming up with people. How much do all of you, the, the local brewers and local brewery owners, talk to each other and support each other? Constantly, constantly. Um, it's very much a community where we believe that a rising tide lifts all ships. Um, it is all of us together creating a culture of craft beer here in town. Um, so we always try to be as supportive of each other. Um, if you ask me for recommendations, I'll tell you every single one. Um, it's very, it's a very good community to be a part of. That was Eric Seip, one of the owners of Dillinger Brewing in Tucson. We all remember the pictures at the end of last year of acres of shipping containers and dozens of cargo ships offshore all waiting to be unloaded. 
That was part of the supply chain crisis that hit the U.S. Rob Fulmer, the executive director of the Arizona Craft Brewers Guild, says beer makers were caught up in that supply chain slowdown. You know, I like to think of our breweries as sort of being bellwethers for a lot of different things because they're manufacturers, they are restaurateurs in a lot of cases, um, they are community gathering places. So, uh, and and they we have a, a slight touch with agriculture. Some of our uh, grain by pro- our grain byproducts are, are used for farmers' fields and, and things like that. So, um, we're running into the, the gamut. Um, of course, I, I mentioned restaurants. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard uh, or have seen, uh, you know, simple things like bottles of ketchup because everyone switched to packet ketchup, uh, those kinds of things. Um, but specifically for the brewing industry, we are running into shortages uh, in, in some of the equipment um, because it's stainless steel or it's aluminum. And there were tariffs on those and that sort of really uh, slowed the process down. A lot of that stuff is just in time stuff coming from uh, overseas. So we're part of that shipping container uh, situation. Uh, and we're running into um, uh, a, we, we have, there's two main companies that produce the cans for uh, canned beer. Uh, and uh, one of them has required, uh, has jumped from half a truck to five truckloads. And that's basically 10,000 cans versus 1 million cans. That's a big difference, especially for a small brewery. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they take up a lot of space. They're light, but they take up a lot of space. So uh, we're struggling with that. Um, and, and so when um, your, your, ma- your larger companies with, with, with big supplies uh, have to start to scramble, it, it really um, shakes up the entire situation. So we've got people looking for uh, different kinds of lids because the lids they were supposed to get for the can um, may not be the ideal lid. Um you know, and so on and so on. Um, you know, we're hearing that uh, because of climate conditions, uh, the barley crop is not going to be as robust this year. So we'll, we'll see some things um, in, the, in the coming months on that. Um, and, and here in Arizona, we're obviously concerned about the water situation as well. Has the supply chain issue coupled with everything that was going on the last two years with the pandemic, have we seen a lot of breweries in Arizona just say, forget it, we can't do this anymore? Well, I happen to work with some of the more resilient people uh, in manufacturing and, and, and restaurateuring and uh, all that. They're, they're, uh, we, we're here at the office here. We have our own supply chain issues, believe it or not, but we, we, we're kind of inspired by the way they rolled with it. But it, it's certainly putting a stress on um, them as businesses. I think um, we did see in the early part of the the pandemic we saw two or three businesses decide to get out uh, i think it was just a a, a storm of uh, hey we're in our fifth year of our lease and this thing is going on and, and maybe this lifestyle isn't what i thought it would be so but again they've been pretty resilient um and i, I think it's what's going to occur is is kind of a a, a slow kind of recession from what they're good at and, and what they're good at is getting their favorite beers in the consumer's hands. So if you were relying on the your, your small brewery in your neighborhood cranking out four packs of 16-ounce cans um, for a lot of their products, they may uh, there may be some attrition on that. They, they may be down to one or they may slowly phase it out. And, and um, it's not the most uh, uh, profitable thing to have beer go outside a small brewery. It's more profitable to bring people in. 
But if that pe- kept people engaged and brought people in, it was worth the expense. You said you work with a lot of really resilient and creative uh, people. What are some of those creative things that you've heard about uh, brewers doing here in Arizona during all the supply chain problems and things like that? Well, first of all, uh, on the production side of the brewery, uh, there is a lot of collaboration between uh, brewers, packagers. uh, And so there's a lot of sharing of resources. And there's always been a Hey, uh, do you have do you have a, a you know a box of hops uh, that we could sort of get right now? And we'll hit you back the next time. There's always been that sort of collaboration, and so uh, there's just a lot more of it. Uh, the the switch from uh, being a retail only uh, place of gathering draft beer and maybe maybe beer to go and, and crawlers or growlers. A lot of them invested during the pandemic in canning lines or struck up a agreement with a mobile canning operation. So the, the very fact that you're seeing cans explode and almost every brewery has uh, these to-go options and package is, is uh, one of those things. I had heard at one point that beer was recession-proof. How overall did the the craft brew industry, did Arizona brewers do during the pandemic and and the economic downturn that followed? There are some breweries, if you talk to them um, candidly, they're going to say that uh, certain periods of this pandemic have been record-breaking in terms of sales. Um, now the heartbreak side of that is, uh, because, uh, they pared down on their labor and, and, um, that was a hard thing to let go. They, they, the, the definition of a brewery uh, is, is varied, uh, because they have different models. They have a tap room model, they have a production model, they might have a restaurant model. Um, but I think really, I, I think they really identified as being, um, a team of people and, um, in a very inefficient labor source, uh, we're not as uh, automated as some of the big guys. So that was a heartbreaking loss to have to cut staff. And um, you know, it is it is something that uh, it, to the mental well-being of all the staff and and everybody involved, it, it, it's a short-term uh, fix to, uh, to to really put all that on your shoulders. So we we hope that um, eventually we'll get a return to labor on that. Not to uh, get in trouble with our millennial listeners, but I've heard that millennials are drinking less beer than uh, previous generations like mine. Uh, have you guys seen that? We are seeing more seltzer products and things called ready-to-drink uh, products that are cocktail-like. And you can make those using malt. You can make those uh, with wine or spirits. Um, it's very labor-intensive to do it with malt, and uh, that's the way our, our breweries would do that. Uh, you know, so, you know, the threat is, uh, you know, if they're made with spirits from a very large multinational corporation, um, they're going to get all the supply chain advantage and their price points going to come down. And, and so they're taxed at a different rate, um, that sort of helps equalize that, but there is a movement to equalize the taxes. If you look at straight at the number, uh, that, that they're giving, um, it's unfair, but, uh, you have to look at the totality of those kinds of things. But, uh, you know, getting back to your question, um, we can do those products. We took it upon ourselves as a, as a guild to um, allow the definition of beer to include a wider range of products. You have a few innovators uh, like Grand Canyon Brewing Company or Santan that are also getting into distilled spirits. 
We changed the law so that several entities could work under the same roof and be separately licensed. So you could uh, have a winery, a brewery, and a distillery under what the consumer would see one roof, but it's it's separate businesses and and, and we're integrating those that experience together. So uh, that's how we're rolling with it. But um, you know we'll see these things kind of pendulum a lot, but definitely uh, uh, these alternate. Um, ready to drink things are, are something that we're looking at. And, and, um, you know, we had a hand in that because we, we, we started to tell people you could actually get flavor out of beer. And now they're looking for flavor all over the place. That was Rob Fulmer with the Arizona Craft Brewers Guild. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we're talking with brewers and farmers about the business of beer in Arizona. In 2015, Melanie and Tom Norton opened Copper Hop Ranch and Farm in Elgin, Arizona to grow hops and make beer. Mel says the business took off in ways they hadn't expected. So our first year, we were not actually open as a, as a microbrewery yet. We were just growing hops to get them established, and a really interesting thing happened. Um, a couple of a couple of guys from Chandler um, were rolling past. I think they were out wine tasting. Just They were at Parker Canyon, like, doing their thing. And these guys, I don't know if they knew about us or how they found us, but they drove into our, our, our property because our hops were up on the vine. And they were from Arizona Wilderness um, Brewing up in Chandler. And these guys source all Arizona products, all Arizona grain, all Arizona, you know, hops if they can find them. And they showed up sharing beer and introduced themselves. And we had just picked all of our hops. And we were just going to store them or, or whatever. But we, we had air dried them on screens in our living room. And we had 15 different varieties. And we just you know, put them in 55-gallon garbage bags, and they said, hey, you know, can can we buy your hops so we can make a beer with them? And I thought, well, yeah, sure. You guys can have them. And like, How much do you want from them? I had no idea what to charge for. So we said, how about 50 bucks? <laughs> they looked at us like we were crazy. And trying to offer us more, and we're like, nah, that, you know, we... We don't even know if they're going to be any good our first year. So we gave them the, the hop to the garbage bag. And they said, listen, when we make our beer, we want you to come up to our brewery so you can taste what your hops are like in our beer. So they made a beer called the Connection Size On. So they invited us up, and it was awesome. We couldn't believe it. So we... We sold our first crop to, to them. Um, other breweries wanted our hops because they wanted to do a wet hop beer. But to do a, wet, a real wet hop beer, you need to pick them and immediately put them into your brew kettle. So nobody was really ready. Either their product wasn't ready or when it was time to pick the hops, um, they weren't going to be ready. So what we decided, my husband, Tom, and I, was that we were going to use our own hops and we would make our own beer with our own hops and 
we get more, we get two crops of hops a year, which is I don't, I don't think that happens anywhere else. I don't I've never heard of it happening. So what we do is we let our patrons, our customers, if they want a wet hop because we don't spray or um, we're totally organic, our customers can go out there and pull them right off of the vine and stick them immediately in with their beer. So they can wet hop on the spot, we like to say. You want to go wet hop on the spot? This is probably the only opportunity you're ever going to get to do that. So we'll walk out and explain the different varieties and explain, you know, what one hop is, is going to be like as opposed to another hop. So it could be more acidic or fruitier or, you know, get that really strong APA punch in your mouth. And so we let people choose what they want to try, including our hops that are almost extinct. How did you guys do through the pandemic? We saw so many microbreweries just have to close their doors, as so many businesses did. Surprisingly, we were really, really blessed. So I used to have a coffee cart. This is this is a really kind of a funny story. I had a coffee cart, which is considered a mobile food unit. It's, it's licensed as a mobile food unit, um, which we, we have to use today. Um, so we can do food. And because at the time, mobile food units were considered essential during the pandemic, we got real creative. And we turned our mobile coffee cart into our mobile food, mobile beer unit. And we put it at the front gate of our farm. And on Highway 83, there's a gigantic easement. And, you know, it's a two-lane highway. So people could be outside, they could um, they could distance themselves, I mean, car length. So my husband, poor fella, he was running back and forth between our tasting room, loading up pints of beer, which the governor actually allowed beer sales to go, which worked out great for us because we would... We would get beer, we'd put lids on them, and he would run them out, and people could tailgate along the highway. And people, they needed to get out of the house. They were going crazy. So we had people up and down the highway, you know, around our street. They would bring their pop-up tents so they could be outside with their families. People would bring lawn chairs and tailgate, you know, up and down in front and around the, the highway around our farm. And whenever somebody would need to use the bathroom, we would only be able to allow one person in at a time. Her husband would have to go with bleach everything, you know, after, you know, everybody, you know, we only had one or two people that ever used it, but he'd have to go with and bleach everything after everybody would use it. So he was getting his tail, you know, ran off. But our business probably tripled during the pandemic because, we recognize that people are human and they need to interact with each other. They need to get out in the sunshine and get some beer and not get locked up and and be in jail. Um, and it's not my job to say what what to do with somebody's life, but I needed a beer. <laughs> so we, we made it possible for people like us to be able to get out safely and. Um, 
and still be able to provide our customers what they wanted. And, you know, we had Legion riders post 109 over here in, in Tucson, um, where we go. They saved our lives by coming out every weekend on their Harleys. And, you know, they followed the rules and they were such an amazing support for us. And then other people would see them and then they would stop. And it, it just, word of mouth spread and it allowed us to remain open during the pandemic safely. Um, so, you know, a shout out to everybody who came and supported us because without them, we wouldn't have made it. So, I mean, we're, we're tiny. We, we're not, we have a tiny, tiny tasting room and a patio and a farm and our house, and that's it. So, um, without our local support, without, you know, the Legion Riders, Post 109, people from Tucson, people came from the Grand Canyon because they found out that we, they could come and get beer and sit outside in a lawn chair. <laughs> came to get beer. So, really, our locals, our Tucson folks, they saved, they saved our bacon, so we just really wanted to say thank you to them, too, because without their help, we wouldn't be here. So that's how we survived. You mentioned earlier that you have a unique type of hop on the property. Can you tell us a little more about that? We have a local hop that is the oldest hop known to have survived the Ice Age. It's the oldest hop in the world. And it's located in the southern and kind of some parts up near, well, I don't want to say where because they're in danger. Um, but they're down here near us. We have some of them, and we're, we're breeding them so that they can survive. But they're the Neo-Mexicana or the Neo-1. And they're on the endangered list. So... If people find hops out in the wild, don't don't dig them up um, because if we lose them, they're gone forever. And these are so special. That was Melanie Norden, one of the owners of Copper Hop Ranch and Farm in Elgin, Arizona. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Megan Myskowski helped produce this week's show. Samantha Larned is our production assistant. And Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.